We're going to start today, boy, I'm in a weird position, 1 Corinthians 6, and the topic is lawsuits. How am I going to dance around this? No, I'm kidding. Oh, 2 Corinthians is not going to work. 1 Corinthians, let's pray before we begin. Well, Lord just so fun to come in here and to worship you and to see people love one another and, uh, and love you, Lord. And so, what a blessing it is. Lord, help us to think deeply about these things that we're about ready to study. And help us to learn from these things, and then by your Spirit, we pray you'd knit these things and that we would go out of here changed people, and you'd help us to obey what you've asked us to learn and to grow in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're traveling through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we uh, land ourselves now in uh, chapter 6. You might say, well, what does lawsuits have to do with my life? Well, I think when we examine this, uh, lawsuits is the issue, but there's a deeper thing at, uh, at stake here, and uh, uh, I think uh, you're going to um, be blessed by it. So, where are we? Well, we're in a church in Greece. It's sort of in southern Greece. It's a very cosmopolitan town where they have lots of fashion and fame and fortune and commerce and trade, and uh, boy, do they have uh, vices there. They have vices. It's okay. It's okay. We love her. It's okay. (laughs) That's okay. No problem. You... Maybe a donut will help, maybe. <laughs> it, it helps some of the older people around here. <laughs> we love her. What's that? Define old, yeah, right. So we're in that city. We're in that city in Greece, and it's those things. It's fame, fortune, fashion, uh, Cosmopolitan. It's a great worldly center of trade and commerce, and like I was about ready to say, vices. I mean, these people are engaging in things that uh, sort of are unmentionable, and yet here, right in the Bible, uh, Paul lays it out. And remember that these letters that he's writing, this one in particular to this church in Corinth, aren't written in a vacuum. Didn't you, when you first started studying the Bible, say, Isn't, I thought I was going to get systematic theology, like bullet point. Bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. That's not this. Paul's addressing these certain questions, and as he's addressing the questions that are coming back from the church and the issues, theology just sort of pours out of him onto the paper. Oh, by the way, there's a sermon for you. As you start to know the Lord, seek the Lord, uh, hear of the Lord, learn of the Lord, and He fills you up with your Holy Spirit, theology just sort of pours out of you. And the way in which it pours out is in godly living. 
standing for righteousness, stooping and putting down your rights for the good of the, uh, of the kingdom of God. Boy, is that a big topic. And I dare say that that's what this whole chapter is all about, is laying down our rights. Boy, just the sound of that chafes against all of my fleshly nature. Who here loves to lay down their rights? Nobody raised their hand. Oh, you do. Okay, good. (laughs) See, in the spirit that is. Okay, so here he's been writing to this church that are having some very serious problems. And one of the problems was they preferred personalities over the Lord. If that pastor's there, I'll go. If that pastor's not there, I ain't listen to that guy. He's terrible. I can't stand. I follow this guy. I follow that guy. He wrote about this. He wrote about some other things. Look in verse 3 of chapter 3. I mean, he basically tells them like it is. He says, for you are all still carnal, fleshly. You live according to the flesh or in the way all of the world lives. For there is, listen to this, envy. Boy, is envy a killer in the church. Why did he ask him to say the Wednesday night service and not, not ask me to teach the Wednesday night service? Why does he ask him to lead the prayer group and not her to lead the prayer group? Oh, man, I'm doing so great in my life. Why is it? Envy, envy. Envy is the stealer. You want to steal, have your joy stolen quickly? Just envy somebody else. He says, you're still carnal for there are many envy. There's strife. You're not dealing with issues. There's strife among people in your church. And there's divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And mere there is in italics. It means unsaved people. And they, he writes about how they could how they enjoy wisdom, but that we're to avoid the worldly wisdom and to just glory in the cross of Jesus Christ, the simplicity of the cross of Christ. And yet, how profound is that? And he talked last time about church discipline, how immorality was defiling the church, and that a man was having a sexual relationship, an ongoing relationship with his stepmother. And the most shocking thing to Paul, that was shocking, of course it would be shocking, but the most shocking thing to Paul was that the church tolerated it and just acted as if nothing was wrong. Well, here now, apparently, people are suing one another in the church. Now, you have to know some things about Greek culture. They would actually... uh, have the courts take place in the open marketplace. So it's not like downtown where the parking's $40 a, you know, a second, where you kind of maybe, if, you, if it even crossed your mind that maybe you'd go down to the court and sit, you could do that. It's public. You wouldn't want to because it's, you know, it's down there and it's expensive. No, in, in Greece, they, the courts were out in public in the marketplace. And so if I brought a lawsuit against Andy or Andy brought a lawsuit against me, think about how that would play out. 
The judge would be sitting up there on the Bemis seat. Andy would give his side of the story. I'd give my side of the story. And what do you do when you give your side of the story? I got my evidence against him. He's got his evidence against me. And all of the world would be watching in that city or all, that peop- all the people in that city. And it would spread like wildfire. And in that context, apparently in the Corinthian church, they were thinking nothing of suing one another. And taking it out to those marketplace courtrooms, not a room, of course, and having at it. Litigation. Listen to what he says in verse 1 of chapter 6. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you know... Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? By the way, just count with me as we go. Watch how many times he asks like this sort of rhetorical questions. He does them in threes. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world would be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers." Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Hmm. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now watch what he goes on to say. All things are lawful to me. Or all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? (laughs) Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Wow. 
flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that, the, that your body uh, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Wow. We've just read some amazing truths that, again, poured out of Paul's pen by the Spirit because a problem existed. Now, let me let that sit there for a minute. Not all problems are bad. (laughs) Suffering is not necessarily bad to the Christian. Do I get up and jump uh, uh, up and down and click my heels when trouble comes or suffering comes? No, not necessarily. I'm not exactly thrilled about it. And yet, the Bible calls us to a higher and greater view about our suffering, see book of Job, and our troubles. In fact, it actually tells us, the Bible, that when troubles come, watch this, you are to purposely count it as a joyful experience. Why? Why would God have the nerve to say that to us comfortable United States Christians? Because, you know, he has something way more for you than your comfort or your happiness. And that's his holiness. And to chisel and to scrape and to carve off and to round and to, you know, I don't work with power tools, but people who do tell me that this forms something beautiful. By the way, why were we singing, make something beautiful out of me? Why? For his glory, not for our glory. So, so sometimes this hurts. And this letter, this, these issues, this amazing bit of theology, these things about the Lord are pouring out of problems, folks. There's good coming out of it. The Bible tells us to set our mind on things above. We've got to, as Christians, by the power of the Spirit, take our thinking that is so low and take it to where God is, the heavenly thinking. What is that? What is that? It's this, it's not, you, you don't just work for 40 years, get an IRA, a pension, or whatever you get, and then, you know, retire and play golf all the time. That's what I thought I was going to do. There's something greater and higher that the Lord has for you. Here you are as, the, as a member of this little peewee little body of Christ, but then a, a body of Christ that's big and large, many saved saints, And the Lord is building up his church, and the gates of hell can't stand against it. And today, we're going to see some things that we can hardly believe about ourselves. You better learn how to work things out, because you're going to be a judge. A judge. What do you mean? Well, it looks to me that they've written a letter to Paul, or sent some word to Paul, and said, hey, listen... 
we got a real problem amongst the million problems that we have. But one of the problems that we have is that we've got brothers and sisters or brothers and brothers or sisters and sisters going out into the marketplace, getting their case on the docket. The bailiff calls the docket, and these two get up, and they make their complaints in law against each other, and it's wrecking and paralyzing the testimony of the church. And the whole county and, or city and the county and the people who are not inside the church are seeing this awful division, and it's impacting how they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember one of the reasons why it was so harsh last chapter when somebody's in sexual immorality and you go to them and they won't listen and they won't repent, and then you take a couple people and they won't repent. It says, actually, tell it to the church and then put them outside in Satan's world, in the worldly area, so that the flesh will be destroyed. Do you think Paul's saying that to really get... No, he's not doing it in vindictiveness. He's saying so that the flesh will be crucified and that the brother or sister who's in sin will return to the spiritual body. And we talked about it. There can't be sin in the camp, folks. Aiken. Joshua, I told us that story. We read that story. Sin paralyzes the witness of the church. And these lawsuits were just so ugly and awful. You ever been involved in a lawsuit? It's ugly and awful, folks. It's ugly and awful, and it consumes you. And that's all you can think about. And it's just, you know, you're this, this uh, allegation against this person and that allegation, and then it's back and forth, and then the lawyers are fighting, and before long, it's just, it's just miserable. And this was paralyzing the church and was a, a bad witness. In fact, Paul had some very shocking or stern uh, or firm things to say about this practice. You go before the unrighteous and not before the saints, apparently... It would be more appropriate if we had some sort of legal issue. If we found some wise brothers, elders, sisters within the church who you could bring a dispute in law against and have it resolved here within the fellowship. There's not enough of that that goes on. I know that there was a move maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago where you would see Christian mediators popping up and they were, you know, you'd pay for their services. Isn't that funny? And then they would come and they would have disputes within the church and they were solving them. But I've since seen that sort of go away or at least haven't noticed it lately. That just doesn't really happen very much. He's saying... Why do you take that out into that marketplace between Christians? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? See, I wouldn't write this like this. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) I would have said something like, what do you mean? You're taking it out into the marketplace and you're not doing it in the church? What are you, crazy? What are you? I could say something else here, but... (laughs) What an idiotic thing to do, I might write. Look what Paul does. I want you to catch this. It's always his way. He reminds you of who you are. That's the antidote for Paul. It's not to fix the situation. It's not to, you know, go down to court 
uh, to the marketplace and stand there with a sign, nothing wrong with protesting, don't send me an email, and, 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 and stand there and say, you Christians are terrible and I can't believe you're doing this. No, here's what Paul's antidote is. He says, I'm going to remind you of who you are. So the first thing he does is he says, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that fascinating? There's several places in the Bible. Like, for instance, there's just like some hints in the Bible of something that's going to happen in eternity for us. One of them we'll start with is 2 Peter 2.4. It tells us there that angels are cast down and reserved unto judgment. Angels. The fallen angels are cast down, but there's a reservation unto judge, uh, judgment. You could look at that in the book of Jude. There's a couple references uh, to that as well. In 2 Timothy 2.12, it says, If you have suffered, or if I have suffered, whichever, we look at this, we shall also reign, not R-A-N, R-E-I-G-N. There's something about you and I. We're going to reign. We're going, there's a judgment that's been reserved for the fallen angels. We're going to reign. How about just look over to the book of Matthew in chapter 19. Go there. If you get to Matthew chapter 19... And in verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There is, we have an example of disciples now doing a different sort of judging, but judging nonetheless. the 12 tribes of Israel. Turn over to the Gospel of Luke. In verse, or excuse me, chapter 22. Go over there, Luke 22. I just wanted you to see it for yourself. Uh, Luke 22, verse 30. And, uh, wait a minute. How about 28? But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you guys know where Jude is? Go back to the book of Jude. If you don't know where the book of Jude is, that's okay. Just look it up in your Bible and get to the table of contents, but it's the next to the last book. Look at this, verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, verse 14 of Jude, chapter 1, <laughs> prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them 
of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Listen, there's this picture of you and I, saints, saved people, in the family of God, that has a destiny, that has a future of a place where we're going to serve in some way in the administration of Jesus Christ. You go, wait a minute, I didn't go to law school. Yes, but you've been given the Holy Spirit, and somehow, some way, there's something that the Lord is entrusting to us to participate, I don't know what, I don't know exactly how, to participate in when he comes back in judgment. That's, that's pretty incredible thought. What is Christ coming back to do? You know, every night when you watch the news, oh man, you put it on for about one second, and, and, and within a second or one minute, you're so sick of the news. You just want to turn it off because it's all awful and you're mad and you're angry because you want justice. But Christ is coming back in justice. He's going to make everything absolutely right and fair and just. And for some reason, somehow, I don't exactly know, you're going to participate in it. Isn't that amazing? So knowing that, the theology that pours out of Paul, look what he's doing. There's a problem you're suing each other. It's really a spot on our, care, you know, our, our reputation. Maybe somebody would say that. Not Paul. He says, you're doing this, and it's really shameful. In fact, just remember who you are, folks. You're out here dabbling in 50 bucks for rent because you're, you're, you're the person in the church owed you 50 bucks or, or whatever, or 50,000. Doesn't matter. He's like, don't do it. Don't you recognize that all these things are going to be put right and you're actually even going to participate in it? He says, he reminds them, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world would be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? In other words, look, watch this, watch this. When something happens in the church, she takes my donut, she sits in my pew, she took my parking space. I heard him talking about me. Here's what the Lord says. And he puts it in lots of different places in the Bible. He says, listen, you're going to be a judge of the nations. Or you're going to participate in the judge of the nations. Listen, if that's going to happen, you need to be able to take care of it in-house here. He gives you all the prescriptions. Like, for instance, love covers a multitude of sins, folks. Come on. She sat in your pew. Love covers a multitude of sins. You don't have to, you know, take her before the elders because she sat in the pew. If there's gossip, what do you, the Bible tells you to do? Go right to the person. Say, man, that hurt. What's going on? Did I do something to you? Why would you say that? Did we say, can we, can we pray about this together? I love you. I know you love me. Let's talk about this. 
Let's not just put our heads in the sand and walk away and be frustrated and angry forever so the world can see. No, let's come together in unity. You know, the problem with Americans is they never want to face hard issues. They want to run from them. But the beauty happens in Christianity when you address hard things by the power of the Holy Spirit, with love in your heart, taking sawdust out of your eyes so you can wipe logs out of other people's. Yeah, you go to people gently and lovingly, but truthfully, and you get together and you make it right. And he says, do it within the church. He's so serious about this. Watch this. And if the world would be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? In other words, you're not. You can take care of this in-house. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Sort of a controversy about what that phrase means. Here's what I'm convinced it means. He's saying, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church? Are you appointing outside secular people to decide the things within the church? No, you would never do that. Now, time out. We don't want to get too hard on lawyers here. <laughs> we got two in the room. <laughs> Is Paul saying you could never use the court system? Well, I hope not, because in Romans, he appeals to the Roman court system when he's about ready to get scourged. And he says, hold on. Courts. I'm a Roman citizen. Don't slam my back and rip off my back with whips and things. So he appeals to that. In fact, after they've charged him and at the end of the book of Acts, he actually appeals to Caesar. And that's how he, gets end up in, or that's how he ends up in Rome. So does the Bible say you should never sue anybody or be involved in legal process? I sure hope not, or I'm in trouble. But what it does say is that when Christians, the family of God, has things against each other, we work it out. Why do we work it out? Because we have a higher um, heavenly view of life than what the world does. We're not just existing for a paycheck and land and our possessions. There's something greater at stake, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ so that many will come into the kingdom. Uh, and when you die or if the Lord comes back first, you've just laid it all out on the line for his good and his glory. That, that's the higher view. Our whole life, whether we're lawyers or doctors or we work for waste management or wherever we are, if we travel around and, you know, are chauffeurs to our kids, whatever we're doing, listen, it's all for the glory of God, whatever we do. Where's your mission field? Where you are. So he says, don't, don't, don't appeal to those who are least esteemed, secular judges. I say this to your shame. <laughs> you are, listen, this is who you are and what you're going to be doing and where you're going. This is shameful going to the marketplace. This is foolish going to the marketplace. It's a shame. 
Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, you could work it out. Even if you needed a mediator in the church, you could work that out. We love one another. We don't hate one another. We don't lodge complaints against each other. We work it out. Who will be able to judge between his brethren? Don't can't you find somebody, just one person that's wise enough to do this? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Okay, I think you're getting the point. But now, ready? I don't know if you're ready for this. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Listen, if Andy and I go to court together, Andy files the complaint. He's the plaintiff. And I know I'm right, and he knows he's right. And he wins. It says right there that he lost. He thinks that he's getting the 50 bucks or the 500 bucks or the the encroachment over the property line or whatever, and it's between us. But both he and I have failed and lost, whether he wins the money or not. That's what Paul is saying. It's an utter failure. Why do you rather... Or excuse me, it's already another failure for you that you go to law against each other. Why do you not rather accept the wrong? What is he saying? Why why do you not rather accept the wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? (gasps) No American wants that to ever happen. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Oh my. Hold on now. Well, what does that all mean? See, I think there's something greater or or, or deeper here than just the lawsuit. And what's deeper here is an understanding of the gospel. Do you remember when Jesus was about ready to die? He's in the garden. And I'm paraphrasing here, but they, they say, we got you now. We got you. He says, well, I don't think you really get it. If I called down, which I could, angels and even a legion of angels, you'd be toast. I don't think that's how the scripture reads, but it's something like that. And, and do you know that it, Jesus was a man without sin and that the whole trial process that the Romans and the Jews putting through was a sham. They even went against all their rules of civil procedure, so to speak, to try him. They, they, they violated all their rules to get a faulty conviction. And here he is, innocent, and the penalty that they want to impose upon him, don't miss this, is death. But he has a higher and greater view. In fact, he could call in an aid or aids, angels, and bring this whole situation to a close and save himself. He could do it. In other words, he was in the right. (laughs) But what did he do with his rights? I want you to see this. Not a lot of Christians do this. He laid down his rights. For us. He was innocent. 
There's a very famous pastor named Dr. H.A. Ironside. I think he was at Dallas Theological Seminary, but if he wasn't, don't shoot me. He was a very famous pastor. And in his writings, he recalls when he was about eight or nine years old, his mom taking him to the church that they attended because she didn't have a babysitter and she wanted to attend a church meeting. And there was this man doing just as I've described. He was standing up and he had a complaint against another person in the fellowship. And he literally, he said, was beating on the stand that he was talking against. And he was red and flush. And at one point, he said, I want my rights. Here's this little eight, nine-year-old boy. He says that there was this Scottish old man, kind of had his hat down over his head, didn't even know if he was even paying attention. And when the man who was making the complaint against another person in the fellowship said, I want my rights, I won't do the Scottish accent. He said that the man said this, and it impacted his whole life. The Lord Jesus didn't come to get his rights. He came to get his wrongs. And he got him. He came to get his wrongs. And he got him. That's this. He's saying, if you think you won the 500 bucks or the thing across the lot, the encroachment, it's an utter failure. In other words, he's saying to these two people or whoever's involved in these lawsuits, why didn't you just lay down your rights? It would have been better if you let the guy, not that I'm pointing at Andy, cheat you out of the 500 bucks than to go into that court and make a spectacle of my church and paralyze our mission. Just get along, by the ways in which I prescribe for you to get along, the beauty happens when we're laying down our rights. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren, because see, we all aren't perfect in everything, and I think that's the point Paul's making. Do you not know, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't you think that's sort of odd that he puts it right there? He's writing this letter, and he's talking about lawsuits, and he's saying, you know, we always want to know, are we going to heaven or are we not going to heaven? Hey, turn to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Well, I've done that. Nope, didn't do that. Good. Did that. And we judge it like this, but don't read it in a vacuum. What I think he's saying is, when you refuse to lay down your rights, you're not living gospel, spirit-filled life. And that's unrighteous. And whether you believe in once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation, I don't know what your beliefs are on that, but listen to this. What I think he's saying here is, 
Examine your heart if you're not a person that's willing to lay down your rights for the good of the gospel, just like Jesus. Because he's saying, look, don't you know that the unrighteous aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God? And then again, sort of some theology pours out in addressing a problem. And he says, well, don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous. It's really funny to me because he puts covetous right in the middle of those ones. Like, here you are, you're like having trouble even speaking some of these, and then he puts covetous. And it just nails every one of us in the room. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what, what is this talking about? Well, remember where they lived. And apparently the problem within the church is that they were accepting, they were, they were listening to the gospel and they were praying the prayer. Oh, the back of the magazine, I prayed the prayer. But then there was no inward change in their life. Whether it was this problem or that problem, you can deal with that, but whatever, there must be a godly change. Repentance isn't just saying, okay, I'm sorry for my sins, now you saved me, praise the Lord, I'm going to just live like I've always lived and everything, you're going to save me. No, he's saying that an authentic, spirit-filled Christian, their behavior will always change, and it starts with this. This is why I get so choked up. We want to look at the things and say, well, are they in or that? But it's laying down of rights. Would you be one who, if somebody in here had a problem with you, be willing to just go, oh, just keep the money? For the glory of the Lord. See, that's supernatural, folks. That's the love of Christ in our hearts. That's not esteeming ourselves higher than another. That's living the gospel life. He says, but none of these people either are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so what does he mean when there's this pervasive persistence snubbing at your nose at God and saying, these are the things that I'm doing I'm not going to stop them. I thank you for salvation, but I ain't stopping them. Paul writes in here, oh my goodness. Examine yourself. This is a serious matter. It's a matter that could cause us all, each one of us, not to be in the kingdom of God. Isn't it, isn't it so sad? Isn't it sad? That Jesus, is this one of the saddest pieces of Scripture of all time? They're going to say to me, Lord, Lord. They're, they're familiar with who I am. They've been to church. They served on committees. They gave money. They even might have, you know, stood up here and gave a sermon or two. But, but, and they say, Lord, but there was nothing ever in here. I'm going to say I never even knew them. And then he goes, and you're like, wow, that's a real downer. Yeah, but then he goes, what does he do? He's saying, okay, how, are these things true of you? Were you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. By the way, listen, if you've committed one of these things, that's not what he's saying here while you were a Christian. Oh, you're outside the kingdom. I'm in the kingdom today. I thought a lustful thought. Now I'm out of the kingdom. 
That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is people who persistently practice this in their lifestyle, and it starts with laying down our rights. He says, let me remind you again of who you are. This is how we'll combat it, Paul says. I would, you know, want to read the Moriah Act. And maybe he does in a little bit, but he, or in, a, in a few ways. But, but what he says is, I want to remind you again, you were washed. You know Titus 3 says you were washed. I love this. Don't you love this? By the mercy of God. By God's mercy, he washed you and made you clean. It says... You were washed in Acts 22 when you called on the name of the Lord. Of course, Revelation 1 says that you were cleansed by the work of Jesus on the cross. But John 15 and Ephesians 5 tells us that the water of the word cleanses us too. It's all of that that washes us. What are you doing here? You're learning about Jesus. You're finding Jesus in the scriptures. And he is washing you and making you new. Isn't that amazing? Well, what are some other things? You were sanctified. We talked about this this morning. You were set apart for God's use and consecrated. You were sanctified. He's cleaning you up, in a sense. What? For his uh, use and his purposes. He set you apart. You're no longer like the world anymore when you come to Christ. You may live in the world. In fact, you should live in the world. Don't be in a spiritual cocoon. Go out into the world, but don't be impacted by the world. He's setting you apart for his good and glory. That's sanctified. You're not sanctified, folks, if you're not in the family of God. And here, he does the words backwards. I find it fascinating. I think you would start with justified. Here's what it is. It means that in heaven, God made a spiritual decree when you come to know Jesus. And the spiritual decree, which has nothing to do with you, he puts the gavel down and says, you're not guilty because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's just as if you never sinned. You're justified. Just as if you never sinned. Now wrap your head around that one. You're justified, you've been sanctified, and you've uh, uh, been washed in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, here, I'll say it for you, <laughs> for Paul. Remember who you are. When you go out of here today, Paul's saying, remember who you are. Remember. And then he goes and he says, all things are lawful for me. Isn't that an astounding statement to make? Everything's lawful for me. You mean a Christian can have sex? Yeah, that's right. I don't know if you know this, but that's how babies are made. And I'm being funny, but not really being funny, because God gives you the desire, but he says, I want you to do it in the confines of a marriage. All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but not all things are helpful. Don't. <laughs> Warren Wearsby says, sexual immorality is like robbing a bank. You get the money. But later, when you're found out, you pay for it. But if you have the appropriate relations within, uh, within the marriage, you're making deposits, whatever, weekly, month, whatever, and, and, and look, watch, and it's secure and it's growing. 
and it continues to grow. And the reason I'm telling you that is all things were lawful for Paul. In fact, he probably was married, but that was another story. And not married now, but that's another story. But not all things are helpful. Not everything's helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any, of anything. Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. What's all this talking about? Listen, we have incredible freedom in Christ. He gives us natural desires, desires that he, we can be fulfilled under his, or can be fulfilled under his plan and his purposes. Sex is one of them. All things are lawful for everything, but not everything is helpful. In other words, Paul is saying something to you and I. I want you to catch this. I know it's getting long. But I want you to catch this. You don't live unto yourselves anymore. When you said you would follow the Lord Jesus, he said he would put you inside of a family. So you don't live inside, uh, you know, on an island. You're a Christian who's one part of a fellowship. And you can use these lawful desires, but when they impact somebody else, they're not helpful. They're hurting other people. So this, you're saying, well, why are you getting excited about this? Because see, this goes against the grain of that American ideal. Pull myself up to my own bootstraps. Be my own island. Just be tough and not let anybody get in. And if I'm not hurting anybody, no, no. In the Christian life, we don't live unto ourselves. We're brought into the family of God by grace, but now we're, we've said we'll be governed by you, God. And one of the things is you're part of a body. And when you do these things, it injures the body. Did you ever think of that? When you're at home looking at porn... You're injuring the body. You're injuring yourself, but you're injuring the body. So we're not pointing the fingers out at you, but we want you to be healthy, so we all be healthy, you see. Not everything's helpful. You live not unto yourself, but listen to this. You don't want to be under the power of any. Is there anything wrong with me watching the Buckeyes? Well, of course not. Is there something with, wrong with me watching West Virginia? Yeah, a lot. <clears throat> and why am I telling you that? Because you see, my, you, you think this is crazy. When I first got married, our whole weekend ro revolved around me watching football. <laughs> you think I'm lying. I'm just picking one thing out. It became an idol in my life. It was impacting my marriage. It was impacting my family life. God used football in a funny way to take me to Hawaii and save my life. The very thing that I was enslaved to, he used to turn around to get me to not be under the power of its sway. And anything can be that. Smoking, sex, entertainment, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. And he's saying, all things are lawful. Yeah, you can do this stuff. You're free now. We sang about it today. But you know when I'm singing that song, I fear some of us are going like this. Wow, I'm free. That means I can sin and ask for forgiveness. That's not what freedom is. We're not free to sin. We're now free not to sin. Write that down. 
So he goes on and he says this, foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both in it and them. See, there's some uh, feeling that in the kingdom of God, in the millennial kingdom and then on in the new heavens and new earth, that we won't have these same desires, you know, like my hot fudge Sunday um, addiction might go away. <laughs> and yet, we are going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb, so I don't know all about that. But, but our desires, and stomach and food kind of go together, but this, God's going to do away with that or destroy them both. But the body, look at this, is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Your body is not just to please itself. Is pleasure in sex good? Yeah, yeah. He says do it inside the marriage. That's fantastic, wonderful. I created it. But when you go outside and treat yourself like an animal, you're not remembering that there's a spiritual component to this. And how do I know he's saying that? Because he says when he goes back to Genesis, he goes, two people come together, they become one. And something really mysterious. There is that physical union, but there's that emotional and spiritual union. And oh, by the way, we're the bride of Christ. It's really mysterious. And he's saying there's something about sexual immorality that's really dastardly. And the reason is, is because you're so intimately connected to the Lord and your bodies are okay. You know, there were people back here who were teaching bodies were bad. In fact, your body's so okay, he's going to raise it up and you up by his power. You're going to live in a heavenly body. And don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall they then take the members and make them members of a harlot? No, you wouldn't put this body together with a harlot. Because remember, in Corinth, the harlots were coming out of the temple and having people worship with them, if you know what I mean. Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he, look at this. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. <laughs> you ever wonder why in Second Peter it says that we can be partakers of the divine nature? Wow. Do you see how close you are to the Lord when the Lord comes into your life? You're linked forever. Ha. So what would you do naturally? Well, you'd flee sexual immorality. It's sort of like that picture of Joseph in Genesis 39 when Potiphar's wife was, you know, and he's just sprinting out of there. Flee. Get rid of sexual immorality. Don't even be around it. What we like to do is just kind of flirt with it. If I could tell you some of the stories of some of the things people tell me about social media and how they fool themselves on social media looking at like a sports site. But they're not really looking at the sports site, folks. That's not fleeing. That's indulging sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? See, that's the final appeal. That's the biggest appeal. He wants to remind you, if you're sitting in here, if you're sitting in here, and you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and you think you're a person, a man or a woman, who's on an island, and nobody's watching at home, or nobody's watching in the 
club or whatever, you're completely and utterly wrong. Because you don't own your own life in a sense. God has your life. You're not your own. For you were, look at this. Don't you just want, we should put this up here. Engrave it up there so when we walk out we remember. You were bought at a price. If we were bought at a price, and what was the price? The death of Jesus Christ and resurrection. You were bought at a price, therefore, what, what is our response? You would glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And then he just puts this in so you'll remember. Which are his anyway. What did the same writer say in Romans 12.1? I always like to repeat it like this. Knowing all of these things, Paul says in Romans 12. God bless you. Knowing all of these things, what does Paul say? He says, the only reasonable service, the only reasonable thing that it could ever do is just give my life back to you. Because you own me. You've bought me with the blood of Jesus. Now look, as we've been sitting here just talking about those truths, those grand and glorious theological truths, what does it do to the $50 lawsuit? It just goes, boy, does that not matter very much. In fact, in the grand scheme of things, it matters so little. Paul says, when you're among the Christians... It's better that you even get cheated than parade that stuff outside the church. Wow. Wow. You were bought with a price. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much. <laughs> Lord, show us what it is that we are to lay down our rights. A strong message of the gospel. And yet, Lord, there are appropriate times in which we appeal to the courts. We need your Spirit to discern these things. But Lord, help me to be a person that's not a know-it-all. <laughs> yeah, they, they think that's funny too. <laughs> help us to be people who trust Jesus love God, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and love other people, not just say we do, but really do, like you love them. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. amen.